Bibles to Daniel 6, if you are not there already. Daniel chapter 6. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we proclaim that you are worthy. You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Heavenly Father, even as we have confessed this morning, as we have, or this evening, as we have worshiped in song, you are faithful throughout all the ages. You are great. You are the God who rules in power. Heavenly Father, even as we come to this passage this evening, a well-known passage, we pray that we would see your sovereign rule. That we would be encouraged. That we would be comforted by Daniel's faithfulness. And that you would be honored in all that is said and done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we come to Daniel 6. As I mentioned earlier, we're coming to a very well-known passage. In fact, if we had our flannel board up here, this would be one of those passages. You have um, the creation story. You have um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. David and Goliath. Daniel and the lion's den. Jonah and the whale. These are stories that we learn as kids that we love. And yet it's neat how as we grow and we come back to these stories that we've known our whole lives, how we see with new eyes. And we see our faithful God. And really as you come to this passage, you see that it's not Daniel in the lion's den. It's Daniel in the hands of his faithful God. Amen. So as you look at this passage this morning, we'll see a foolish king and a faithful servant. We'll see Daniel as he stands out, Daniel as he stands up, and then Daniel at the end as he still stands. First thing we see is Daniel stands out in the first nine verses. It pleased Darius to be set over the kingdom to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. If you remember, a few weeks ago we were in Daniel 5, at the end of Daniel 5. And as you move from Daniel 5 into Daniel 6, there's not just a change in chapter in the book of Daniel. There's a change in kingdom the end of Daniel 5, it's, we see uh, that very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That's not, Darius is not the son of Belshazzar. He's not someone in Babylon who is now stepping up. 
He's the ruler of another nation, the Medo-Persians who have conquered the Babylonians. And so as you transition from chapter 5 to chapter 6, we're moving to a whole new kingdom. The conqueror has been conquered. Babylon is no more, and now Persia reigns supreme. And so as you come to chapter 6, right here at the beginning, Darius, this new king who has come in, who has conquered the great Babylon, he is reorganizing Babylon under Persia. And he divides the country into these provinces, each one under the administration of a satrap. And then these satraps re- report up to three governors, of whom Daniel was one. That's remarkable that Daniel was one of these three governors. Just think about the, the span of Daniel's lifetime. Daniel has now lived in three countries. This is his second time being a captive. He was taken from his hometown as a young man, as Israel was conquered. He lived most of his life in Babylon, and now Babylon has been conquered. And here we find Daniel in Persia, once again rising to the top. Notice that Daniel thrives everywhere he goes. He was taken out of Israel, out of Judah, as a um, to Babylon because he was one of the head guys. He was top. He, he stood out. And now we see in Babylon, he rose to the top, and now he's been taken to Persia. And even still, he rises to the top. And as we come here, what's phenomenal to think about is the fact that Daniel is over 80 years old at this point. He's in his third kingdom. He is a captive twice over. And he finds himself as one of three governors ruling this area. Not only that, but look at verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. Apparently, when, when, when Darius came in, there was something that, that Daniel stood out above the rest. So he's given this high position in this new conquering kingdom. And even in that, he stands out. Above all the others. Because an excellent spirit was in him. That's the second time that that's been said of Daniel. In chapter 5, verse 12, that same thing was said of Daniel to Belshazzar. He has an excellent spirit. He has exceptional qualities. In fact, he is so excellent that verse 3 goes on to say, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel stands so high and above the rest. And Daniel's excellence attracts jealousy. In verses 4 to 5, These other governors and satraps form a plan. 
Because Daniel stands so far above them because he has caught the king's eye and he's so close to him. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Surely he's broken a law somewhere. There's something that he has done. But they could find no charge or fault. Why? Because he was faithful. What's interesting to note here is the very thing that we talked about a few weeks ago in Romans. Romans 13. That little phrase, because he was faithful, that's not talking about Daniel's faithfulness to God. That's talking about Daniel's faithfulness to Darius. His faithfulness as a citizen. Daniel is a good citizen. How do I know that? Well, look what it says in verse 4. They wanted to find a charge against Daniel concerning what? Concerning the kingdom. And they find no charge against him concerning the kingdom of Persia. He breaks no laws. He's a good citizen. He does what's required of him, what's expected. He stands out above the best, the rest. Because he is a faithful and a good citizen. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, oh, we'll find no charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So what they have they've come to learn about Daniel is he is a good citizen. There's no charge that we can bring against him. So what we need to do, that Daniel is faithful to his God and he's faithful to Persia. So what we need to do is we need to find a place where his faithfulness to God sets him at odds in his faithfulness to Persia. We need to find somewhere, somehow, even if we have to manufacture a situation to bring his faithfulness to Darius in conflict with his faithfulness to God. That's the plan that they come up with. In verses 6 to 9, we see the execution of the plan. So these governors, these satraps, thronged before the king and said to, thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Notice the lie here in verse 7. All the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together. It's obvious a lie. Daniel has obviously not been consulted. He's one of the highest governors among them. But they just, you know, move past that. All the governors of the kingdom. have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. <laughs> We've got it. we found a place where Daniel's faithfulness to God puts him at conflict with his faithfulness to Darius. He has to choose. The sad part about this is surely if Darius had paused for a second and considered this proposal, he would have realized that Daniel would not have ever recommended such a decree. In fact, later on in verses 14 and verse 16, we see that this king has a high opinion of Daniel, that, that he knows that Daniel is faithful to his God. He knows he has heard about Daniel and his God. So if the king would have sat and thought for a second, 
He probably could have realized there's no way that Daniel would sign off on this. But they talked the king into signing it, and therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Next thing we see, Daniel stands out, and then we see that Daniel stands up. Verses 10 to 18. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, note that Daniel knew. He's not caught in a surprise. He knows that this has been signed. He makes a conscious decision. He knew that the writing was signed. So how does he respond? What does he do? What decision will Daniel make? He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. This is not a difficult decision for Daniel to make. Because Daniel has already established a pattern of faithfulness. Look at what the the end of verse 10 there says, as was his custom since early days. This is not a decision that Daniel makes right now in this moment. This is a decision that Daniel made years ago, probably 70, 80 years ago as a young man to be faithful. This is a decision that, 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 that has grown over the years as he has been faithful, as he has seen God answer his prayers, as he has seen God work, as he has seen God deliver him from the difficult situation in which he found himself in Daniel chapter 1. As he has seen God deliver his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from a fiery furnace without even the smell of smoke. As he has seen God deliver him in difficult situations when he has to deliver bad news to a king to interpret a dream, and God has delivered him time and time again. This is not a difficult decision for Daniel. It's a decision that was made a long time ago. Daniel stands up by kneeling down. He knelt down on his knees three times that day. He goes home and in his upper room Note, Daniel doesn't go into the city streets. He's not making a big show of this. He doesn't get down in the middle. Everyone, look at me. Look what I'm doing. I dare you. Come get me. He goes home into his upper room. This is not about drawing attention to himself. It's about being faithful to God. With his windows open towards Jerusalem, again, It's not a foolish public display. It's not a statement. It's a faithful practice of a faithful man. And so he kneels down on his knees at over 80 years old, three times a day, something he's done every day over and over and over again. And note this. Note Daniel's prayer. It's not a desperate prayer for deliverance. It's not, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do in this situation. Notice what it says. He prayed 
and gave thanks before God. What does Daniel, who is now in his third kingdom, this is the second time that he's been ripped from everything he knows, two times a captive, now there's those around him have turned on him and they've lied about him. What does he have to be thankful for? See, Daniel's circumstances don't change Daniel's heart or Daniel's practice. Daniel thanks the Lord because Daniel knows that God is still good. Whether Daniel's in the king's court or whether Daniel's in the lion's den, God is still good. And so Daniel, even in a situation like this, can bow down and he can thank God. Even as he can hear the soldiers coming up the stairs, God, I thank you. You are good. You have blessed me. You have given me so much. God, you are good. Thank you. It's been his custom since his early days. Verses 11 to 12, these men assemble. They found Daniel praying. They found Daniel praying. It's almost as if they stumbled upon it. I doubt they stumbled upon it. They were waiting for him. This was the whole point. Making supplication for his God. So they go to the king. Did you say this? Didn't you sign this? Yes, I did. Verse 13. So they answered and said to the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah. Again, we saw that same language. Belshazzar used that of Daniel. It's a kind of what would be called in today's vernacular a racial, racial slur. It's meant to put Daniel down. This, this guy, this, he, he's one of the captains from Judah. He's not as good as we are. He does not show due regard for you, O king. Again, that's a lie. That's a twisting of the truth. Daniel's actions are not a statement on Daniel's regard for Darius, but on Daniel's faith in God. And in fact, Darius knows that. And note his response. So the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with Daniel for disobeying. He was greatly displeased with himself. Darius is mad at himself. He's not surprised that Daniel did this. He knows that this is not a statement on Daniel's regard for me, but on his faith in God. He's not upset as at Daniel as Nebuchadnezzar was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember how upset he was as he burned with anger? He's upset at himself. He should have known better. I think that says something about Daniel. The testimony that he has in this day to those around him. And in fact, we see the high regard that the king has for Daniel in his response. He's upset at himself and he sets his heart on Daniel to deliver him. This is my mistake. I'm going to do everything I can to fix this. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then the men approach him. 
you know, king. You know that it cannot be changed. And so the king gave the command, verse 16, then they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But note this remarkable statement. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, this is not a prophet from Israel that says this. This is not a king in Israel that says this. This is the king of Persia, Medo-Persia. Darius says, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Note even Darius' confidence in the power of Daniel's God. Again, we see evidence that Daniel's faith has affected all of those who are around him. It's impacted. Note also the word, your God whom you serve continually. Daniel's faith affects all of his life. It's not just something he, he does at these moments. Three times a day he goes and he, he bows down, he prays, and he goes about his day like normal. Daniel's faith affects every decision that he makes as the king says, you serve him continually. You are faithful in service to him. Your God, he will deliver you. They roll a stone over it, they seal it. We know the story. The king goes to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. His sleep went from him. As we come to verses 19 to the end of the chapter, we see Daniel still stands. Note Darius' expectation of deliverance. What he said in verse 16, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That's not just something he's saying. I think there's a real expectation that God will do something here. Look at the evidence. He rose early. He runs in haste to the den of lions, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? How foolish is it to go to a den of lions, of hungry lions, in which you have just thrown a man and locked him in there all night, and to go the next morning and say, hey, he's still alive? That's foolishness. Unless you truly believe that God could deliver him. Daniel, servant of the living God. Daniel's testimony has not just impressed the king or he's impressed at who Daniel is. He's come to the point where he's impressed at who Daniel's God is from what he has heard from Daniel. You are the servant of the living God. Unlike the gods of Babylon, the gods of Medo-Persia, unlike our gods that don't hear, that don't respond, that don't act, your God is living. Notice he doesn't say, is your God living? He says, your God is living. The question is, has he delivered you? Your servant of the living God has your God whom you serve continually. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, what a moment that must have been. 
As much as we see in these verses an expectation of deliverance, there's probably some kind of expectation as he gets to that den that he will hear a response. Still, you've got to think there's some doubt there, right? I mean, yes, I'm, I'm hopeful, but, but do I really expect to hear someone respond? This must have been one of those moments that stuck with Darius for the rest of his life. One of those moments that impacted him. This Daniel responds with this den of lion, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. My God. Daniel praises the Lord. My God has done this. He doesn't say, I'm still alive. He says, my God has done this. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also a king. I have done no wrong before you. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that they should take up Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him. Again, that reminds us of the same thing we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are pulled from the spiry furnace and they don't even smell like smoke. Daniel's pulled from a den of hungry lions. And there's not even a scratch on him. No injury whatever. Why? Because he believed in his God. Because his faith did not waver. Because there was not one moment when Daniel regretted praying and trusting God rather than giving in. Because he believed in his God. In verse 24, we see that as Daniel is delivered, his false accusers are condemned. They are thrown to the lions. To the bottom, of, and before they even hit the bottom, they are consumed. They are overpowered. In verse 25, then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. The king recognizes his foolishness. It is not I, as king of this great nation, it is not I who is worthy of worship. It is Daniel's God. He is worthy of worship. Remarkably, this is the second king influenced by Daniel to make such a decree. We saw the same thing from Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Look what a faithful life can do. Daniel is responsible. He does what is expected of him. He is a good citizen. He is faithful, and he is faithful to his God. And that influence brings two kings of the most powerful nations on earth to confess the greatness of his God. He doesn't just leave it at that. Worship Daniel's God. Look what he says. Why? 
for he is the living God. So he's already confessed, this God is the living God. Unlike our gods, he hears, he sees, he acts, he responds. And he is steadfast forever. He is living and he is unchanging. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. Those two lines is a return to the theme of Daniel. The idea that the Lord reigns. He is greater than the kings of men, and his kingdom is greater than their kingdoms. He's an everlasting king with an everlasting kingdom. He is greater than Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And he is greater than Darius and Medo-Persia. In fact, what we see unfolding is the exact dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. These kingdoms that follow one another, and yet in every single one, what is it that we see? That God is greater. This God, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He does amazing things. And we have seen that today, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. As I mentioned at the beginning, we see here in Daniel 6, it's not Daniel in the lion's den, it's Daniel in the hands of a faithful God. At no time does Daniel have any reason to worry. His God is in complete control the whole way through. God is great. Daniel's faithfulness does not come out of some ability that he was born with that we don't have. Daniel is faithful because Daniel is convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that his God is faithful. I am convinced that what he said is true and that affects every decision that I will make. Daniel knows that. Daniel believes that. And so Daniel is faithful. So application, what does this look like for us? Three points. Be faithful in service. Be faithful in your service to God. Pray boldly. Search the scriptures diligently. Share the gospel regularly. Be faithful in your service to God. Daniel lived a faithful life and look at the impact that he had. Not because of Daniel, because of his God. Be faithful in service to God because of who he is, because of what he has promised, because how he has equipped you and what he has given you. Even this week, I don't know what you're going to face. I don't know what kind of things you're going to go through. The rest of this year even, or the years ahead. But this I do know, that your God is faithful. I do know that he is in complete control and he knows exactly what is going on. So you can be faithful in service because your God is faithful. Secondly, be steadfast in hope. Don't waver. 
Know that your God is in control. Even when things around you don't make sense, even as you're being faithful and things are, are going on around you, you have no idea what's going on. It looks like God's out of, things are out of control and, and maybe God has left the scene. Maybe he doesn't see. Maybe he doesn't hear. Be steadfast in your hope that your God does see. Your God does hear. Your God knows and he's working all things for your good and for his glory. Don't let your hope waver. Because your God does not change. He is the living God. He sees, he hears, he knows. So serve him faithfully, be steadfast in hope, and be thankful to the Lord. Be thankful. Regardless of your circumstances, be thankful. Because God is good. And that doesn't change. Your circumstances don't dictate who God is. Be thankful in all situations. Even in Philippians 4, Paul echoes that same thing. Don't worry, but pray. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be faithful in service, be steadfast in hope, be thankful to the Lord. We're going to close this evening by singing that chorus that we sang right before the service. All I ever want to 